0: and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real, the podcast where we talk about different elements of the scriptures that have become real to us and that help us then draw more power from the scriptures so that we can apply it to our lives. I'm your host, Kerry Mjolstein, and this is a short cast where we'll do a historical overview to help us just get to understand a little bit how we got to the point of the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. So we know that uh, as our last reading ended, The Jews had been uh, conquered, Judah, the kingdom of Judah been conquered, Babylon has come in and destroyed uh, Jerusalem. Uh, There are all sorts of interesting historical details about that from the archaeology. We find uh, homes that were destroyed uh, and burned by the Babylonians. We find uh, places where there were arrowheads from the Babylonians shooting up into the city, there's plenty of archaeological evidence to attest exactly how real that conquest was. It's a very, very real thing. Uh, I think of the, uh, we talked in, in the podcast last week about the despair of the people in Lachish, but the people in Jerusalem are equally uh, or more in, in despair as they're besieged and there's starvation, and then there's all the warfare. And finally, the Babylonians get in and burn and pillage and take home slaves. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. And so many of the Jews are taken. And it's, it's worth noting that when we get to just the kingdom of uh, Judah, uh, they would call anyone who lived there uh, a Judite or a Yehudite, which we translate as Jews. And this is about the time period where we really start to speak uh, and use that terminology Jews uh, rather than Israelites and so on, because there's only the one kingdom. Uh, and it's, we should note that there are people from every tribe, Uh, In the kingdom of Judah, we've had several migrations that have happened, and we'll talk a little bit more about this when we do Hezekiah's day in the book of Isaiah. There's a tremendous amount of history that we just passed over so briefly, but we'll cover it some more as we do Isaiah and Jeremiah. But uh, there were migrations uh, during a number of time periods, but most especially when Assyria was coming through and pillaging the northern kingdom, there are huge migrations to the southern kingdom. And so the southern kingdom becomes. Really, a mixture of every tribe, but they become Judahites or Jews, regardless of what tribe they're from. They are a member of the kingdom of Judah, and thus they get uh, called Jews. And uh, a number of these people are deported to Babylon. Uh, And not much is left of Jerusalem at all, but a whole bunch of people go to Babylon. Let's talk about how Babylon became the dominant empire. That's an important part of this story. And this happens, of course, uh, after the destruction of the northern kingdom and after Isaiah's day, but before Jeremiah's day. Uh, Babylon had uh, been a huge empire in the Near East before. They and Assyria kind of keep trading back and forth who conquers whom and who is in charge. And Assyria uh, arose and was controlling Babylon, but Babylon was always trying to gain its own independence. There's a guy named uh, Merodach, baladan who's... Uh, Uh, hides in the marshes and does all sorts of warfare and so on. But eventually you get Babylon allying itself with the Medes and the Persians. These are people who are in modern day Iraq. Um, They were tribal in structure and were fairly powerful. But because of all the the intertribal warfare and struggle and the lack of unity, uh, they hadn't really become the power that they could become. But Babylon convinces them to ally themselves with Babylon and thus the the coalition of them are able to overthrow Assyria and then Babylon takes over that Assyrian empire and it's a huge and powerful empire for quite a while Um, but really Babylon had awakened a sleeping giant as the Persians started to realize that when they allied together that they were incredibly powerful Um, they worked with and then controlled the Medes and eventually actually overthrew the Babylonians. Uh, who had taught them how to be so powerful. And so they incorporated all of the former Babylonian empire and uh, Syrian empire. Plus, they, since they were further east and uh, they could spread further east and became the largest empire in the world up to that time, uh, a huge and important and powerful empire. The stories of Cyrus, who is the first emperor, are uh, manyfold and, and uh, interesting and so on. But in any case, They conquer Babylon, and they are going to allow the the Jews to return. But now it's time to stop and talk just a little bit about the effects of what we call the Babylonian captivity. Uh, That's when the the Babylonians force many of the Jews to to go into Babylon and different parts of their empire. There is a a lasting effect uh, of this Babylonian captivity on the Jews. What happens is that they have to stare cold hard in the face the fact that they must not have kept the covenant because God... Did not protect them. This is what they were being warned by Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And once that destruction happened, they realized that these prophets had been correct and that they weren't keeping the covenant. And so they had to ask themselves, what weren't they doing? And of course, the primary obligation under the covenant is to keep the commandments. And so they decided they didn't ever want this to happen again, that they wanted to keep the covenant. And so they were going to focus on keeping the commandments and not worshiping other gods. This was extremely effective, especially in terms of not worshiping other gods. Before this, we see constantly, but especially the Northern Kingdom, but the Southern Kingdom also frequently, struggling with idolatry. We don't really see them struggling with worshiping at least that form of idolatry. We have our own forms of idolatry today, and I'm sure they did as well. And in some ways, the law became an idol, but that form of idolatry, worshiping Baal or Marduk or whoever else, uh, they don't, that really ends. They are, they learned this lesson well, and that form of idolatry ends. As I said, unfortunately, in some ways, another form starts that we struggle with today still, that is their focus on the law. They decide that they must really, really obey the law. And the best way to obey that law is to create what is known as a hedge around the law. Now, in, in a lot of ways, that's a good idea. They say, okay, if the law says you shouldn't uh, work on the Sabbath, we're going to say we're, we're not even going to take so many steps on the Sabbath and that kind of a thing. Uh, and there, there is a lot of merit to this idea. We have uh, some similar things we do. So, uh, for example, when we say, okay... Um, If you don't want to to break the law of chastity, then it's probably a good idea to not have a married man and woman alone together in any situation, cars or whatever else. I mean, that's not a commandment to not be alone with a married man with another woman who's not his wife in a car. It's just wise, it's a hedge around the law to keep you from breaking that law. It helps you to, to not get to the point where you're breaking the law. So in a lot of ways, the idea of a hedge around the law is good, but it became a focus in and of itself. The focus on the law was huge and important. So what we get is uh, the uh, rising up of a scribal class that has a new kind of power, or lawyers, we could call them. People who focused on what is the law and how are we going to keep this law and how do we create this hedge around the law with all of the best intents this happens and Ezra is part of this movement so when you see Ezra come in we get uh, oh well let's let's before we get to Ezra so let, this is part of the, um, the movement uh, and the reaction to the Babylonian captivity is to focus on keeping the law and, and to uh, focus on that covenant most of which is good, but any good thing taken to extremes becomes problematic, but it is really good to focus on, to know what the commandments are and focus on keeping them. Um, And then when we get uh, Cyrus allowing the Jews to come back, and some of this seems to be because of the policy he has of trying to foster um, good relations, He, he has the opportunity to look like a benign ruler because he can take all of these nations that have been conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and deported here and there and and so on and say okay i am the nice ruler i've freed you from that tyranny and i will allow you to go back to your homeland just pay taxes to me and live under our laws and and uh, that kind of a thing and so it allows him to create this huge empire And they have a really sophisticated administrative system uh they build roads i mean the, the persian empire is really impressive and advanced uh the most advanced uh, in the world up to that point in many ways but um they, they allow people to go back from a number of places. There's also a tradition that Cyrus was shown the prophecy of Isaiah that contains his name that says that he would allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if that actually happened or not, but it's a pretty strong tradition and that he wanted to fulfill that prophecy. Uh, for whatever reason, you can assign benign or megalomaniac reasons. I don't know. I, I don't know the guy, but uh, he allows the Jews to go back. They go back and they're led by, by two people, a priest who is the descendant of the person who was the high priest at the time that Babylon was destroyed, and a guy named Zerubbabel, who is, I believe, the grandson. He's definitely a descendant of um, one of the last kings of Babylon. There are a few names here that we need to keep track of. Yehoshua or Yeshua or Joshua are the names of the priest that is going to be the the priestly leadership behind starting to, to found the temple again. And a guy named Zerubbabel. Now, before Zerubbabel, there's a guy named Sheshbazar. We don't know who Sheshbazar is, and there's a decent chance that that's just uh his uh, another way of saying his name or it's a a babylonian name for him or something along those lines shesh and zerubbabel may be the same person they may be two different people Mm -hmm. but in any case you get um zerubbabel who's the grandson of jehoiakim and uh so he is of davidic descent and uh, it would make sense that he's sent back as the ruler and will lead the people. And so it almost looks like you're going to have this Davidic leadership continuing for a time, but then that doesn't really end up working out. In any case, uh, they come and they start to try to get people to build the temple. Uh, there's some success, but and, and the Persians are helping, they're sending some uh, supplies and so on. Um, but uh, and then people who aren't coming to Jerusalem. Uh, jews who are staying in babylon actually send quite a bit of resources money and other resources uh, to help make this happen uh, but even with that it's difficult and and the building of the temple starts to stall and struggle and then you get prophets sent to help them zechariah and haggai most particularly and so when you get to zechariah and haggai as we get to that and come follow me i'd prefer we were just doing the prophets as we did the historical stories but that's okay hopefully you can remember this well enough Um, that you can come back and and cover it again, or or at least remember how it ties in with those prophets. But when we get to Zechariah and Haggai, recognize that they are key forces in getting the temple built, and this is their historical setting. Zechariah in particular has a number of prophecies that helps Uh, Judah realized that they are forgiven, that they should help to build a temple, that building the temple is important. And so they uh, under that prophetic direction, along with this royal and priestly direction. So you've got a prophet, a priest and a king all working together that help make it so that the temple is built, which is fantastic. Uh, And then after a while, Ezra will arrive on the scene. Uh, Ezra's focus is on the law, as I said. It's, his focus is on the law enough that I'm not necessarily in love with all of his deci- decisions. It's important to note that Ezra is never listed as a prophet. He's not described as a prophet. I don't think he is a prophet. He may be inspired at times, and I think there are times he's not inspired. His focus is on learning and knowing the law, and that's useful, but maybe taken too far. I especially don't love uh, the idea it, it is true that they should not have married outside of the covenant, but I don't love the idea when he uh, forced all of the men to uh, abandon their their foreign wives uh, I, I don't love that idea maybe I'm wrong I, I haven't been there you'll hear me talk about this with Jennifer Lane I, I wasn't there I don't know maybe maybe there are some things about that that are more important or better than I understand but from my vantage point um, i don't love that but anyway uh and i think it comes from this emphasis on the law it's important to understand that we have um a number of uh trends here that will continue on and even have effect in our day but certainly in new testament times ezra is really the cultural forefather of pharisees of the idea that there are people who need to know what the laws and teach others what the laws and help them keep the laws all of which is good only a problem when we take that too far when we do it for the wrong reason when we uh, get caught up in the letter of the law i think actually probably most pharisees and most people didn't do that but there were certainly some that did and that was problematic and the savior certainly had something to say about that Um, but ezra is uh, i i think there were people before him he's the product of people before him and he and others like him at his time period are, are the forefathers so that when we get to this pharisaic which becomes the rabbinic movement uh, they're, they're the product uh, to some degree of what was going on with Ezra and his contemporaries in his day and so we get this cultural movement that will last all the way down to the Savior's day and in our day rabbinic Judaism really is uh, the cultural descendant of uh, a movement that Ezra is an important part of um, you also have this priestly movement right you have uh, Yeshua or Jeshua Um, who is the priest who is descended from Zadok, right, the Zadokite line from the time of David, Uh, Zadok supported David, and so the Zadokites, uh, the the high priest will always be a descendant of Zadok, and they're called Zadokites or the Zadokite line, and that's a very important thing, you have to have priests if you're going to have things going on in the temple, and uh, those rituals are important and can only be performed by priests and, and high priests have to oversee that. And so they'll all be descended from Zadok. Uh, so you can also see how this uh, shakes out in understanding the New Testament. Um, in Hebrew, remember that it's the consonants that are important and not so much the vowels. So the Zadok is, is, is it's often spelled with a Z, but it's really a tz sound. And uh, so you got the Tz and the D and the K, which gets grecified as Sadducee. Uh, and the Sadducees are the, Um, The priestly line that is descended from uh, Zadok and Yehoshua or Jeshua here in in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and so on, Uh, and uh, that they're very powerful and very important they lose a lot of that when that temple is destroyed by the Romans uh because their power base was in the temple and so the kind of tension between sadducees and pharisees dies out over time and uh, the pharisaical line wins because the law still continues but the temple rituals don't and so there are a lot of things that happen here in this uh, babylonian exile and the return to jerusalem under the persians that uh, end up setting the scene for uh things that will continue for a long time the samaritans are another one we get this group of intermarried people from samaria well, from the northern kingdom, the capital of which is Samaria that have conflict. And we'll talk more about that with uh, Jennifer and with, um, with John Hilton uh, so that you can understand that this uh, bad blood between Samaritans that uh, continues on even into Christ's day. And so you can see how much of this is important for understanding the New Testament, for understanding the rest of the Old Testament and prophetic writings like Zechariah and uh, Haggai and uh, so hopefully all of this introduction helps you make sense of the books of ezra and nehemiah and uh, a number of other books and cultural settings even down into our day